2: You can find all the links and resources for this episode by visiting the show notes on rickyrichards.com. If you enjoy this episode, do consider subscribing on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you're feeling particularly generous, you can help me to grow the show by leaving a review on iTunes. For anyone who does subscribe, review or share, thank you. I appreciate it. Now let's get into the show. Welcome to Ricky Richards Represents, the show where I talk tips for success with leading figures of creativity and innovation. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the show. My guest today is the pioneer behind a cutting edge multi-award-winning VR production company called Visualize VR. Henry Stewart, co-founder and CEO, has got an extensive background of producing high-end VR content for some of the biggest brands in the world. I've got him on the show today to talk about what we are to expect from VR and also to delve into how the general public can get involved in the space.
1: Welcome. Thank you very much.
2: Uh, I think I'll start off just by asking you you know, how you got into the space in the first place.
1: Back in 2006, um, I was very keen at ph- in photography. Although I did a biology degree, I was really keen as a photographer in uni. So I came out of uni and set up a company called Spherical Images, um, which was uh, set up to produce panoramic images and virtual tours, basically ways that you can use 360 photos to explore spaces. And that's what I did for a few years, just smashing out these panoramas all over the place. And I got this gig to do a computer game, which was called Travelog 360, to take all the photos for it. And part of that game had us going around all these incredible sites of London. So I got into places like St. Paul's Cathedral, um, Trafalgar Square, and all these really kind of key iconic locations like Harrods as well. And that opened a lot of doors for me. And so I started sharing these pictures and people started talking about them more and more. And then the next step up was something called Gigapixel, which is where you shoot hundreds or thousands of pictures and stitch them together and make this picture you can zoom into and see just ridiculous levels of detail. And I shot one of those in St. Paul's Cathedral. And uh, you could zoom in and see the paint strokes on the mosaics on the ceiling. You know, it's that detailed. So the BBC picked it up. Off the back of that, I got to shoot the Royal Wedding for the BBC. Um, And off the back of that, I got invited to shoot the Olympics for Getty Images and for the Olympics, for the IOC. Uh, And that was kind of the the launching of my career as an immersive photographer. Um, And after the Olympics, um, my business partner and I, and Anthony Ganju, saw the opportunity for a company that was dedicated to the next level up again, which was 360 Films. So we set up Visualize.
2: As if, so you were effectively a a successful
1: photographer before you
2: even started this.
1: Yeah, well, panoramic specialist, which is a kind of odd thing because I I, I was going along to all of these gigs with a completely different setup of camera equipment to everywhere with a photographer there and kind of getting in the way of everyone because for 360 stuff, you need to be close. And so there I was at the Olympics with this really odd-looking pole and this stubby little camera with a fisheye on it, kind of jamming myself in front of other photographers to try and get <laughs> close to the action. Not, yeah. not the most popular person there.
2: As if. Um, just for the listeners who are less familiar with Visualize, maybe could you just explain the kind of stuff you do and some examples today?
1: Yeah, so we are a VR production studio. Um, we we produce. There's two kind of main camps in VR. There's interactive, um, or what you might call true VR, um, and then there's. VR films or kind of what people call, I guess, more passive VR or 360 degree video, we produce both of them, Uh, probably do a little bit more um, VR films, but we do both. Uh, And one of the examples we did recently stepped into both camps. So it was a project for Facebook and the Van I believe it's the Van Gogh, not Van Gogh, which I've been saying all my life, but apparently (laughs) it's Van Gogh. So the Van Gogh Museum, um, where we produced a virtual museum room that housed the five sunflower paintings from Van Gogh. And apparently these have never been in the same room before. So we made we took scans, really high-res scans that had been taken by either the museums or the collectors, built this virtual museum, and also faithfully recreated every single frame to its exact brushstroke and shape and everything, put them in this museum room, and then took Van Gogh's great nephew and got him to record a voiceover. And then you get to explore this um, gallery by you put your your Oculus mobile headset, which is a Samsung Gear VR on, and you can walk to different paintings, you can look at the information on them. And as you walk to each painting, then Van Gogh's great nephew speaks to you and tells you all about it. So that's the kind of more interactive side. But then what happened, this is for Facebook and in reality, as we're sure we'll talk about in a second, one of the big problems in VR is there's just not that many headsets yet. So we make a 360 video version, which is essentially a kind of automatic kind of screen grab almost in 360 of motion through this museum. And that gets uploaded to Facebook. And then we just saw this incredible figure. Over the first three days, we had 6 million views um, of this virtual museum.
2: As if, and I bet there's a lot of interaction with that as well.
1: Yeah, you can look all around and you yeah. know, choose where you... That's the thing, it's kind of like you can be your own director.
2: So one thing that I wanted to do with this interview, just because I know it's going to probably be quite heavy at times, uh, I'm a novice, as I'm sure many of the listeners are, and so very quickly I just wondered if we could reel off some of the lingo and just give an overview of what these words mean.
1: There's so much lingo. I, I've, um, I've got some for you. Okay. This will
2: put you to the test. Okay. So we've got
1: active presence. Active presence. Well, I could tell you what presence is to me, and presence is a really important word in virtual reality. Presence is being so connected into a virtual reality experience that you forget the real world. It feels natural. It feels real. And so you've got to be very careful when you create a VR experience to not break that spell. And there's a load of ways that that spell can be broken. Um, first of all, if you see an error in the footage, like a stitch line, or if you see everything glitch suddenly, or if someone brushes past you and you remember that you're sitting in a chair in a public space, all of these things break that spell of presence. Fantastic. Uh, is it authorial intent?
2: Uh, no, yeah. No, that's right. And a cockpit? Maybe we'll jump over to that one.
1: Um, cockpit i've not heard of actually or authorial intent Um, (laughs) but i noticed you've got the swayze effect there
2: yes the swayze effect although i've spelled it incorrectly
1: but that's one of my many quirks (laughs) so this is a absolutely superb one and it's named after of course the late great patrick swayze and from his role in ghost and the was a big problem in vr uh especially in 360 degree films And this is when you're in the film, you're watching it, and you can see all these characters around you and all these things happening in this story unfolding. And you feel like you're there, but you can't take the next step, which is to actually interact with people or be noticed. And so you feel like a ghost. And you might see something unfolding in front of you and you can't stop the people from doing what they're about to do, which is exactly what it was like for Patrick Swayze in Ghost. So it's been dubbed as the Swayze effect, and and I love that.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's a good one. (laughs)
1: Uh, Haptics? Haptics are uh, a way of allowing you to interact with the virtual environment. And so that's above and beyond just having like, um, you know, controllers in your hand. But the ultimate aim of haptics is that you'll wear a full body suit, or at least you'll be completely tracked so that you can touch things, feel things, interact with things from every part of your body. Locomotion? Locomotion means the way that you move in virtual reality and there's lots of clever ways that people are trying to do this at the moment because one of the big issues is that you know we're in a small studio space now but if I wanted to be in a virtual environment that's as big as you can imagine how do I walk around that? so one of the ways that people use locomotion rather than just standing up and walking around which you can do in some VR is to teleport. And by that, you have a controller and you have a kind of target and you aim it somewhere else in the room and you press a trigger and you just ping there immediately. Amazing. I should actually add that with locomotion, there's a bunch of really quite kind of creepy looking, um, uh, what do you call them? Uh, treadmills, yeah. omnidirectional treadmills, stuff like that. And you can see some pretty awful looking videos of people kind of running around in games with guns, looking like some kind of futuristic cyborg. <laughs> um,
2: yeah. You've got to start somewhere,
1: right? <laughs> uh, occlusion. Occlusion, I have to skip. Quantum story. Again, I've had to skip that one, I'm afraid. Uh, redirected walking.
2: Where did you find these? These, This is literally a, a dictionary VR thing, so it's probably <laughs> uber nerd, which okay. I'm glad. So this is good because it condenses us to what is really useful
1: and what isn't. Yeah. Uh, a metaverse. The metaverse. Now, this is a fantastic one. So the metaverse is the kind of future virtual world that we'll create, that people can go into through their headsets and using haptics or any means to interact with people and play in, um, communicate in travel in, and generally, I mean, in a kind of very creepy, really distant sense, live in as well. Wow. Web VR. WebVR? WebVR um, is a way of making VR work online, quite simply. And there's some really good new ways that this is happening now. You know, there's HTML5, but there's also A-Frames and lots of other technologies out there now that are en- enabling in- both passive and interactive VR experiences online.
2: And then the last two I've got are your and Zigabur. <laughs>
1: uh, yeah. Z- or well,
2: Zeit, Zeit,
1: um, I'm not idea. sure on that last one, but like your, the only way that I know that is from pitch, roll, and your in terms of positioning, positioning um, and orientating 360-degree videos. But I'm not sure if that's the right reference, and given right, well, how many of those well, I missed, I'm not sure it's the well, right at all. The,
2: the idea here is that should you use any language, at least people are going to know what it is, so that gives us a good overview at least. Um, I want to get into the weeds of VR pretty quickly, but just to kind of get people that are listening a little bit excited, um, what can not we do in VR right now that you anticipate we'll be able to eventually? Where's the, where, where is it going to go?
1: Um, I think that one of the kind of frustrating things in VR at the moment is communication. And I say that because there's just so few people in the virtual reality world at the moment that it's very hard to kind of go in there and have a very natural experience where you meet people. And I think that's one of the things that VR really needs is that social element. That's one of the main things holding it back, actually. Um, And Facebook have tried to pioneer something called Facebook Spaces where people go into this virtual world and they can meet people and communicate and so on. But, like, I still haven't found anyone that I know yet in the Facebook spaces. But I'm planning on my first kind of real meeting with a friend next week. Oh, wow. Um, to, to, you know, to, to test it out. Because VR with other people is absolutely magic. There's this brilliant demo from Oculus called Toy Box, And it's a really simple thing. You basically go into this room there's a table in front of you and it is just covered with all of the best toys you could imagine from being a kid. Like all kinds of things you wouldn't have been allowed as well, like kind of laser guns and dynamite sticks and stuff like that. And then just beyond the table is everything you might want to smash. And you basically just have to kind of throw things at stuff, fire bows, smash stuff, you know, drive around little tanks that can fire. It's just magic. And when you play this with another person, you see them represented on the other side of the table as this kind of floating blue head with hands. And they can pick stuff up and they can light your kind of dynamite stick for you or they can throw things at you or shoot you with this gun that reduces you in size like, honey, I shrunk the kids. And all of a sudden you're being kind of leaned over by this giant other person and it's really quite frightening. So yeah, that kind of fun, playful aspect of VR needs to develop uh, and there needs to be enough people in the community to enable it for VR to retake off.
2: The one that comes to mind with that is the founder of Second Life. And yeah, I know that he's working on a, something of the sort where you can, you can go and interact with others in, in this virtual world.
1: Yeah, that's right. They, and you know, there's a huge amount of investment going into it. But I think just the complexity of building a kind of um, a really good, interactive, fun place that people want to go into is incredibly challenging. There's actually, have you heard of the book Ready Player One?
2: I know it's a film coming out, but I've not actually read the book. Yeah,
1: so it's by a guy called Ernest Cline, and it's uh, it's about a future world, which is a dystopian future, and people try and escape the real world into this metaverse, this other world. And it's just this really magical place where they kind of all have gamified lives, and they try and bullet their characters with points and stuff like that. So yeah, it's very much along those same kind of lines.
2: Just forgetting about adoption for a minute, what are some of the technical challenges that the industry is currently having to to overcome?
1: Um, I think one of the big ones is just there's a few very simple things in the headsets, like um, resolution. So right now, the best headsets are on, I think it's only about 2,000 pixels per eye, or just under, um, in terms of as a 2,000 by 2,000 pixels per eye. And for that to be where you can't see the pixels anymore, it needs to be closer to 8,000 pixels per eye or even higher, some people say like 12,000 pixels per eye. And that is just a huge amount. And if you think that how big you expect a kind of 4K screen to be, if you imagine it being up at 12K and then just condensing that down to the size of a phone, it seems like there's going to be years until that happens. But then you'll be able to look around in VR and see this completely seamless world. But there's a bunch of other things as well which need to happen in VR. And one of the key ones is for mobile phones to be powerful enough to allow the really fun interactive games that we see on headsets like PlayStation VR, HTC Vive, and the Oculus Rift. Those headsets are all powered by amazing gaming computers that are prohibitively expensive. So that, coupled with this very expensive headset, means that VR is just out of reach. So... The only thing that's going to be in reach for people for years is mobile. And mobile has to kind of, I mean, continue to advance as it does to a point when you can get the same kind of rich gaming experiences out of them. And one of the other kind of technologies that needs to come along in with that is something called inside-out tracking. And this is a VR term, right? Um, and Because what the best VR experiences are, if you look at things like the HTC Vive or the Oculus Rift, when people can get up and walk around the VR, and that's when you get that sense of presence that I mentioned earlier. So when you can get that experience in the mobile phone, that's when things are going to really start taking off. And for that to happen, the mobile phone needs to actually be able to scan the environment around it. And when it can do that and kind of ping back almost like sonar, its position, then it can give you those kind of experiences without having to spend thousands of pounds on a VR
2: kit. Is that what that word means that you said? To be able to scan... The, the, yeah,
1: inside-out tracking is, right. is the ability for the phone, which is on the inside, to track the outside world and then relay that information back to itself.
2: For people listening that are interested in the space and don't know which headset to get, obviously you have you must know them inside-out. Yeah. Who are some of the most notable notable uh, product suppliers at the moment and which do you recommend out of the lot?
1: Um, I think the king of the headsets is the HTC Vive. Um, it's the most expensive pretty much as well, um, requires, a, again, of an expensive gaming computer to run it. But if you've got that setup, if you're lucky enough to have that setup, up, you set up these things that they call lighthouses and they track the headset so that you can stand up, walk around and have these absolutely incredible experiences. The next, I'd say, in terms of the richness of its experience would be the Oculus Rift. Um, obviously this is the kind of first one on the scene. Again, positionally tracked so you can walk around the virtual reality space. The headset looks really beautiful. The design's really nice on it. It's light. That's a great headset. Um, then I'd say kind of the next in line for me, I think the Samsung Gear VR. It's an incredible headset powered by Samsung phone. And this is the really surprising thing. You know, the new S8 phone is is super powerful. goes in the front of this headset and it gives you the same quality 360-degree uh, video and 3D 360-degree video as you would get in the HTC Vive or the Oculus Rift. But it does that from a mo- mobile phone, which is just absolutely amazing. And it, But it starts to struggle when you go into the realms of interactive. So the experiences have to be kind of pared down quite a lot, made a lot simpler. And then you get headsets like Google's Daydream, which is... Uh, a kind of fabric material headset, very nice design. You can put the Google Pixel in or the new S8 Samsung phone and get a great VR experience from that. And then finally, kind of right at the bottom, if you're really strapped for cash and you want to get into VR or you don't want to spend that much and just experiment, you can buy a Google Cardboard for a matter of like five quid. And literally is as it sounds, a cardboard box basically folded up into the shape of a pair of goggles with two little lenses in it and you just drop your phone in the front of it, and you're off. You've got a VR experience.
2: Look at that. You've even gone down the stream. I love that. <laughs> um, you've obviously spent an, uh, an awful lot of time thinking about how this is going to uh, become viable, and I know that you've actually created a bit of a roadmap that's going to see it from where it is now to what you believe is potentially adoption. just wondered if you could briefly fire us through some of those steps and why you believe they'll make a difference.
1: Yeah, so... There is an, uh, what I, First of all, what I should say is that I totally understand why VR hasn't taken off yet. And I think that you're kidding yourself if you're in the VR industry and you just expect that everyone's going to want to put a headset on because they don't. You know, my wife doesn't want to put a headset on instead of watching Netflix. And But I think that there will be a tipping point whereby the content in that world is so good that she's compelled to. And that's the kind of thing I was looking at in this roadmap is like, what are these things that are going to enable the technology and enable the content to be so good that it's just like, I've got to have it. I've got to be in there. And so some of the things, first of all, I think you need the support of the kind of tech giants. You need the likes of... Microsoft and Apple to really get behind it, and Microsoft and uh, certainly Apple really sat on the fence for a long time. But we saw it at the last keynote from Apple, they're throwing their, their weight behind it. They're supporting officially VR with the the iMac. That will only continue down the stream into mobile. Um, Microsoft's announcing three new headsets or even more with Dell, Acer, Asus. These headsets cheap as well, two hundred and fifty dollars plug them into the world's biggest operating system, Windows. So you've got a huge market there suddenly opening up. Next, you've got to look at things like, we mentioned earlier, Ready Player One. Early 2018, this film's going to come out, which shows the general public how incredible this weird world of the metaverse is going to be, and just the stuff you can do in there. Because what it shows you for the first time is that there is another world that you'll be able to enter that feels real, but lets you do whatever you want without any restrictions of the real world, of money, gravity, anything. Like, you can just be what you want, who you want, drive what you want, anything. And I think that's going to really open people's minds. Plus, it's going to be a Spielberg film, it's going to have a huge amount of money behind it, maybe some cool VR experiences, who knows. And then I think there's other technologies that VR has to piggyback on, because I think that there's a bigger technology than VR, which is going to hit mainstream earlier, and that's augmented reality. And augmented reality I mean, very basically is the overlaying and i 'm not talking about stuff on your phone like Pokemon Go or stuff on an iPad that you hold up proper augmented reality, which will have to come from either a pair of glasses or lenses over your eyes so you 're looking at the real world simplest form like Terminator Vision used to be, or like you see things floating above people let 's say you 're in a networking meeting and you see LinkedIn contacts above people and your kind of common and shared connections and likes. Or even creepier, maybe the Facebook one. And I don't know if you've watched any Black Mirror, but you're getting into yeah. that realm very much. <laughs> and the thing is with AR, it's going to hugely divide people. But crucially, it's going to give some people great advantage. Great advantage in the workplace, great advantage in life. And that means you're going to have a kind of smartphone-like uptake. And this is great news for us in VR because here you got millions of people suddenly around the world wearing goggles that enable them to see stuff Over the real world. And it's not a big step further for those goggles to allow them to see less and less of the real world and more and more of this immersive other world. And there you're talking now about mixed realities. And we're starting to look at virtual reality being one end of this scale, which is closing off the real world completely, augmented reality being at the other end, which gives you bits of kind of data or pictures or gamification of the real world and in the middle of all of that is the kind of scale of mixed reality so that's some of the stuff sorry i went off on a bit of a tangent. no time, no
2: i think that's great i mean for people that haven't heard this i think that that makes perfect sense i, I noticed that there's even uh, people that are the correcting eyes currently who are building effectively the shells for what they believe will contain the AR technology so it's almost like the glove is there they just need the content to fill it
1: yeah exactly so
2: i mean there's people working on this stuff which is pretty pretty uh there are amazing
1: and there's these parallel technologies as well that are coming along with with virtual reality uh, one of the really important ones is called volumetric capture I think this is another VR keyword here. Um, Facebook announced recently cameras with either, I think it's 24 or 12 lenses that allow you to capture a 360 video, well, it's not really, when I explain it, you'll see why, from not just one single point, but from a much larger area. So you can't imagine this. I mean, it's kind of hard to imagine, but rather than catching a film, okay, rather than filming something from one camera, you film it from the same direction, but from, say, 10 or 20 or 100 cameras. And then what you do is you allow people to kind of choose where they watch that film from. Do they watch it from the middle camera, or do they move to the bottom left camera or to the top right one? And that's the same in VR. You, if you film stuff from a big enough ball, then you can, in theory, move your head around that ball and see the world from a different perspective, which makes a film volumetric. So you can actually move around inside a film. And that's the kind of entry point for this whole thing with volumetrics because it starts to get really exciting and imagine this that, and actually there's a few ways of doing it there's the kind of very fancy Facebook cameras and uh, stuff like that or the Lytro cameras uh, you can look them up but there's also the simplest way is with Connects, the old Microsoft Connects. you can set up a few of those and you can record somebody with a Kinect and you get a kind of rough 3D model of them walking around, it looks all kind of scratchy and weird like some kind of Star Wars hologram, but It works and so you take that to the next level and if you start scanning people or even let's say Wimbledon right and you set up these scanners all around central court you can capture a perfect live 3d scan of them playing and it's all in color it's all 3d it's all volumetric and in VR you put your headset on and you can walk around center court while they're serving while they're playing in the final and I think it's that kind of thing you see that kind of technology which is coming along and then I know that my wife will then be like yeah okay I'll give it a go.
2: Yeah, if you can stand next to him and play doubles or whatever, in your head at least. (laughs) Um, You know, this this flows perfectly into my next question, which is who are some of the people that are innovating in the space? Like, could you name drop either some individuals or some companies that we should be kind of keeping our eyes on?
1: Yeah. um... Other
2: than yourself, obviously.
1: (laughs) Uh, I think 8i are a very innovative company, and they've done a lot with um, kind of volumetric capture. Uh, they, yeah, they're a very impressive company. Um, from the UK as well, Rewind uh, have been doing, doing a lot of VR and some really innovative stuff. I know they've done some stuff, I think, with, is it Ghost in the Shell? Um, uh, I, I'm not yeah, familiar. But, uh, so they're, they're a great company to watch.
2: In the second section of the interview, I wanted to explore how VR can be used to tell stories. VR requires a completely different set of considerations from traditional movie making. And as someone who wants to experiment with the tech myself, I wanted to know what the best examples are to date and what are some of the considerations when making VR films, both experimentally and commercially. Storytelling in VR is obviously very, very different from traditional Mm storytelling. And there's different skill sets that are required to to tell uh, a story. I kind of want to dig in deep into how do people actually work in this medium how can they how can traditional filmmakers transition over Uh, what are some of the things that people should take into consideration should they have never done a piece of vr content before
1: yeah it's a really tough one telling stories in vr is incredibly complex and you know there's there's the range of vr i mentioned earlier so there's telling stories in fully gamified vr and there's telling stories in 360 degree video or vr films Um, I mean, my background is mostly in VR films, so I'll I'll tell you about the complexities of that route. Um, One of the main issues is people always say, you know, how can you tell a story in VR uh, when you don't know where someone's looking? So how do you make sure that they hit the right story beats or that they don't miss a key piece of action? And it's actually not that hard because what we found out really quickly um, is that people don't look around that much in VR. Um, which seems almost to defeat the point of it. You might say, well, what's the point? Then if no one's going to look around, then why, why are you even doing it? But the key thing is when you've got a VR headset on and you can look around and you know that you are present in a scene, you have a sense of scale in there and you're, you feel immersed in there. You don't need to, in our conversation now, I don't need to constantly be looking behind me to know that I'm in this room. And the same goes in VR. So people often kind of check out their area they're in and they root themselves in it and they know where they are and then they watch for the story and generally therefore you should make it really easy for them put the story in front of them so that's one of the first things that we really learned is that don't try to stuff the scene with story everywhere you don't need to fill a 360 degree sphere it's a big no-no actually because what you start getting is vr fomo um, where people start worrying they're going to miss out on something and so they're craning their neck everywhere they're looking all around themselves And it's just uncomfortable and you you don't want people to go through that. So we keep it incredibly simple. We put key parts of the story in front of people or we're very careful that we, if we're moving, if we're moving the person or if we're moving a part, a, a, a character in the story, we track where that person's going. And then when the next scene comes in, you make sure that you match cut something into that same area So that if somebody is looking slowly to the left, then the next scene comes and bang, they're straight there looking at somebody who's talking to them from that angle. And then you need to move their head back as well. You can't kind of leave them just looking over to their left the whole time, for example. So those are some of the things you need to think on. Next, you have to use some of the advantages of the technology. And one of the main ones is ambisonics, which is the technical word for basically directional sound. So... It's often overlooked, but it is the most important thing absolutely alongside with the, the video capture is ambisonics. You have to think about it from the beginning and plan it as much as you plan all the video because you can use it as one of the best tools for you without having to put in big, dirty animations that point arrows towards certain things in the scenes. You can use these beautiful, subtle sound effects and just kind of drag people's attention gradually and kind of subconsciously to parts of the scene. And that that's, works beautifully.
2: Amazing! That's uh, really given us some good good insights. One thing that this is a really really basic question, but mm. what kinds of content can you actually produce in VR?
1: What kinds of content?
2: As in, you know, as you've already talked about this idea of a metaverse, which I'm assuming is it doesn't necessarily have to be animated, but it's mm. it's certainly surreal. Whereas, I guess what you were just talking about was more live action. Yeah, is there you know just certain things that you can you can actually create?
1: Yeah, so. It's really interesting the way you put that question as well, actually, because there is going to be more and more of an overlap between these two camps in VR now. You've got, as I mentioned earlier, 360 films and um, interactive VR. And 360 films are are kind of growing into volumetric. And um, as soon as you get into the realms of volumetric, that starts to move into kind of computer gamey stuff. And then it all just melds together into this future metaverse where you could be in this virtual world that, you know, one part can be completely fantastical and polygonal, and the next bit will be a perfect photo scan of uh, a graffiti-strewn street in Shoreditch that you can walk along. So the the two worlds will, will really match together. But in terms of what you can create and, and what will be, let's say, in the metaverse, I think you've got to look at the real world now, and essentially you're talking about kind of creating experiences that people have here, but just ten times better. So, you know, the virtual um, uh, virtual events like uh, big gigs and stuff like that, whereby you can always be in the best place in in the gig. You don't need to be in the crowd somewhere. You can be on stage, you can be backstage, you could walk around stage, like I mentioned earlier. Uh, tennis matches or, or football matches where you can have the best seat in the house and sit there with your friends and kind of chat to them while you're there. But yet you're all remotely in different parts of the world.
0: Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
2: These experiences, they feel to me, uh, uh, to some degree, like low-hanging fruit. And we would would create them because uh, it's an obvious sell to people as to, like, you should go into this. But do you think that ultimately it will end there, or do you think that... With a, in a world with no constraints, it will end up creating something completely different.
1: Yeah, we'll, we'll end up creating something we can't imagine now. And, you know, what we consider story now is... And the way we make films and stuff like that, it's going to be just... It's going to seem so one-dimensional and kind of old-fashioned in the future when... I mean, Alexandra um, the director of The Revenant, recently launched a VR experience at Cannes. And it wasn't a film. It was an interactive virtual experience which was kind of fantastical and you walked around it and you just explored this virtual world and, and uncovered a story by doing it. And so it's part of the new world of story in VR because, yeah, as you say, you know, we don't know what it's going to lead into. But aside from all the kind of low-hanging fruit and the entertainment and the sports stuff like I'm mentioning, there's this huge amount of substance in VR which is really valuable and you've got to start looking at things like education, the kind of things, I mean, for example, um, I'm talking to a, a heart surgeon uh, uh, called Dr. Shafi Hamid, who's, uh, um, he's I think it's called Medical Realities, as his company. And he set up the world's first ever 360-degree video live stream from one of his operations, which allowed doctors around the world to, you know, with headphones and, um, and VR goggles on, to be able to experience the operation just like they were there with him. And you take that further and you start to look at some of the... I mean, actually, let's just jump into healthcare for a a second, because it's just amazing what you can do. You could take a scan of somebody's body before before they go in for an operation, and you can go into that body virtually, go into the great detail of where the problem is that you're trying to fix, plan it with other surgeons before you actually do the operation. And then when you do the operation, you can use surgical robots now and virtually control them. You could, from anywhere in the world... And by doing so, be able to use the very best surgeon to do that job. And then there's the uh, experiments at the moment going on with UCL and the University of Barcelona into how you can use VR to help treat depression. And this incredible thing where you you walk into this room and you put a VR headset on, you've got a full haptic bodysuit. And when you're in VR, you see this little child sitting on a chair and crying. And you have to try and console this child. So uh you, you talk to the child, you try and tell them that, you know, everything's gonna be okay, and you say what you what you can to try and make them feel better. And then later in that week, that same person comes back into the room, they put all the kit on again, but they're sitting down in the position of the child and they have themselves as a, a larger avatar telling them everything's gonna be okay and giving them the exact feedback they gave that child and they're finding it's incredible results and it's really helping people. And there's the um, burn wards in Seattle they're playing with at the moment, where they're trying to, or not playing with, they've been using it uh, since, for the last 10 years, they've been creating this thing they call the ice world, so that kids with burns, while they're being treated for their burns, can put this VR headset on and they'll be floating down this kind of wonderful ravine with snowmen around them and stuff, trying to take their mind off the burns. So that's education. That's training. I, mean, it, you <laughs> I can know, tell
2: how passionate you are about this. The the one thing I'll I'll say is that for, from a listener's perspective, when you're hearing this thing, it sounds so overwhelming because it's like these things that have been created are so amazing. As somebody that's uh, you know just wants to start out, what is the lowest bar to entry kit and and stuff that they can they need? That they can go out and get today. That's going to allow them to create their first VR experience.
1: Uh, it's if you're doing interactive VR, the simplest thing you need is Unity. I don't think you even need a professional license for Unity. I think you can use a kind of trial version and get really far with that. Which and Unity, by the way, is a game engine. It's a way of it's the building blocks to creating a game. And so obviously, with virtual reality, it doesn't just have to be a game. So it can be what you'd call a real-time engine. It's the same thing, but you you call it a different name. And you can learn off the internet, off YouTube, um, just tutorials that you can find, how to use Unity. It's got all of the plugins built into it now to make virtual reality. So you'll be able to fiddle around in there, make a virtual world, and you'll be able to export it. And then the question is, well, what do you export it onto? In its absolute simplest form, you can use it to build a Google Cardboard app. I mentioned earlier, you can buy a Google Cardboard headset for like £5, and so you're off very cheaply. But the next step up would be, and it's ideally if you've got a kind of a Samsung Galaxy phone, you can buy a Gear VR headset. Um, about 80 quid. It, obviously the phone itself is quite expensive, but if you've already got one it's not a big extra cost. And then you can be developing on that, which is a much better platform. So that's, I think, the entry-level...
2: Developing, what, on Unity still?
1: Yeah, on Unity. So Unity is an amazing engine because what it allows you to do is you can create a game in it which then is ported onto different platforms. So you can make a game for Google Cardboard, you can make that same game work on Gear VR, you can make that same game work on Oculus. And so with our developers at Visualize, they produce stuff in Unity and they export for iOS, for Android, for Oculus, for Gear VR. So I was going to
2: say, is it... For Unity as a prerequisite skill set, somebody coming out of university, what would be that what is the the job title that you're looking for when you're trying to find your Unity developers? Obviously we're encouraging people to go out and do it for themselves.
1: Um we'd be we we we'd be looking for Unity developers that are just super passionate about virtual reality. And above all else, like not just talking about the passion for virtual reality, but showing builds of stuff they've played with. Because you can have someone with a lot less experience that's just so passionate and is building stuff that works and is fun that's going to be a much better hire for us than somebody who will just kind of write a cover letter saying, I love VR and have 10 years experience in in Unity in general.
2: To your point about AR being maybe the first one to get the uplift, obviously Apple have brought out their art art kit. Um, What's the prerequisite skills for creating um, AR tech?
1: Very similar. Um, Unity, Unity again. Unity again. I mean, un- Unreal Engine as well is, is another way. But if you're doing something with Apple's AR kit, I believe that's got to be developed in their own software, I think. But then I'm... That's I'm, just, I'm just
2: trying to figure out, like, you know, 10 years ago, the gold rush was developers, mm-hmm. and still probably is to this day, you know, tech startups. They want yeah. good developers. Who's going to be... That next profession who are just super desirable. So you know, if you, developers. If, if you want to position yourself well, maybe it's get your head around Unity. Yeah, and, I think so. and, and what what kit are people using to actually film the experiences in the first place?
1: Yeah, so on the um, VR film side, um, that's where things kind of a uh, yeah they're really opening up now. Actually, um, you can buy really good consumer 360 degree video cameras now, um, which allow you to do your first test to experiment with telling stories in vr without having to put much cost out there and crucially without having to learn this horribly tricky art of stitching so stitching has been the kind of bane of our life uh for the last i don't know since well actually since i started i had to stitch together 360 degree photos and then it just became stitching together 360 degree videos and we're finally getting to the point now actually where Stitching is getting a lot more kind of automated and a lot easier and the cameras are kind of being built in ways that really makes it, you know, takes a lot of that pain away from you. But still, if you get over a certain threshold when you start out in 360 video and you start going up the scales of cameras to something a bit more complicated, then you'll start to get into this horrible realm of having to stitch and that's a difficult thing still. So at the entry level for 360 video, you can get something like a Samsung Gear 360 camera. It's just the simple off-the-shelf camera, a camera from Samsung. Really good, though, really sharp, um, really flexible, simple to use. And you'll be able to start taking some great content.
2: Are they compatible with Macs?
1: I think so. I think you can just use them without the phone. But... So
2: the question there is, what do you use to edit the footage?
1: Um, in terms of editing the footage, what you get out of a camera is essentially just a very odd-shaped film. And so you can edit it in your normal software like Final Cut or Premiere or whatever you normally use. You just put it in there on a timeline, muck around with your sound as you normally would, put your transitions and cuts in and export it. And as long as you, you know, there's a few little things you'll have to learn about how you edit stuff and little things that can trip you up, but it's not very complicated. And actually the barriers for 360 video now to kind of get into it are really low. Um, And Premiere themselves, Adobe Premiere, Uh, have started to really support 360 as well. And they've got a series of tools now built in that allow you to just kind of click a button and see what it looks like in VR. Uh, And they've also just bought this brilliant company called Metal who produced a series of plugins which allowed us to do all kinds of things in VR and kind of cheat. Uh, And they've bought them, so they're going to be rolling that into the software soon as well
2: just goes to show that if you get on jump on these things early the you know the hurdles that you're having to face obviously you you've, you're so well versed in this world but you've accumulated mm. this knowledge over over years now yeah um for people that have just come to it what are some of the best online resources and blogs and that kind of stuff where they can go and learn this stuff
1: um funnily enough the facebook forums are absolutely brilliant and there's a um There's a really good forum, which is um, 360 Degree Video Professionals, which is absolutely fantastic. And it's still one of the first places I ever see kind of news from the VR industry pop up there. And there's also a VR user group, um, uh, VR Professionals, I think it is, user group, which is, again, a great source of information. Um, And in terms of kind of general blogs, upload, sorry, um, upload VR, um, road to VR, and. There's quite a few VR magazines out there, basically online ones, that have uh, absolutely brilliant resources. There's Cinematic VR. That's a really good blog. Uh, What they do is take articles from people around the world that they like and they kind of repurpose them. But it's just a great single one place to stop off and get great information, which is Cinematic VR. Incredible. Just for people that uh, you know again when they're
2: considering how they're gonna not just experiment in this space but actually try and thrive in it Mm. obviously there's a number of kind of commercial considerations when trying to produce content what are the ways currently that people are uh, profiting from this stuff i mean is it just purely for, for you you'll know this better than anyone are brands just looking to create experiences to say that they're in on the latest wave or is there some kind of return on investment for people
1: that's a really good question, actually, and I think if you asked that question two years ago, then you would say that brands are here for the hype um, there's this there's actually a a brilliant curve which has been drawn called the the Gartner hype cycle and it's It shows it's the hype cycle of new technology, and virtual reality, I think has just gone on this hype cycle to the extreme. I mean if you looked at the front covers of Wired magazine, even Time magazine in 2014, 2015, you couldn't look for for not seeing VR. It was everywhere, absolutely everywhere. We had the phones ringing off the hook, we had our email boxes full. We we would we would answer people's emails with quotes like just in an email like, "Oh, I don't know, I think it'll be about that much. Yeah, great, let's do it." Everyone wants to do it, they had to do it. It was the hottest thing you can imagine, and it was this kind of peak of VR hype. Um and I think what happened is that suddenly they realize, hang on a minute, everyone hasn't bought VR headsets. 2015 wasn't the year of VR. 2016 wasn't the year of VR. I can't imagine like you can't imagine how many conferences I went to with everyone saying it's the year of VR and it's not the year of VR. You know, the year of VR if there is going to be one it's going to be like 2025 or further on. So this is kind of then all of a sudden this bubble breaks and everyone realizes, hang on, this isn't the next big thing. Oh, have you heard about AI? Have you heard about AR? And there's the next thing kind of go, again, it goes in the hype cycle. And all the time that's happening, then VR kind of drops down into this brilliantly named trough of disillusionment. <laughs> and in the, in the trough of disillusionment, that's where good products come out the other side and bad ones just will, will keep dropping and they'll, they'll fall off the scale. I should add, actually like VR did back in the 90s. It was gone for a while and it kind of came back in a new hype cycle. And now I see VR is gradually climbing out of this trough of disillusionment and into kind of practical uses. And so coming back to your point about, like, is this something that people are buying for hype? I think less and less people are buying it for hype now. You Sure, you get some people who are like, oh, you guys do VR, that's great, you know, and you're just like, okay, you've just heard about this, that's amazing. But really, like, people now are thinking, I've tried a few VR experiences, I've tried some rubbish ones probably, I've probably tried one or two good ones, And we've got a really good case, though, for using this technology. And we're mature enough as well as a company now that we can take on jobs that will only give good ROI. And it's so important from the beginning of a project, you have to establish what do you want to get out of this? You know, what is the success going to be from this project and how are we going to measure that? Um, And one of our most successful projects we did in terms of ROI was with Thomas Cook, we, it was one of the first kind of big travel, tourism, VR campaigns. It's called Try Before You Fly. And um, I remember when we were doing the pilot, we went to New York and we tried to shoot the kind of dream holiday you could have. Five minute holiday. What's the best thing you could do? So it was you know, visiting all the famous landmarks, Grand Central Station, going past the Statue of Liberty, flying over Manhattan. And we built this all into this one video with this kind of live capture of a band we got by Luck in Central Park, who were playing this brilliant kind of New York jazz. And we put it on headsets uh, around the top stores for Thomas Cook. They're kind of key stores around the UK and trained up all their staff with it. And they would have people come into the store and they'd say, we'd like to take this five minute holiday. Um, try before you fly to New York. And so they put the headset on and they had this stat of 190% uplift in sales if people tried it in VR. So it sold holidays for them. So off the back of that, we shot um, Singapore, Greece, Cyprus, Egypt, all these locations for them because they just knew it would bring in more more, uh, holidays. So that was one of them. Um, We did a project with the British Army where you gave new potential new recruits the um the chance to parachute out of out of uh planes to go on climbing ex- ex- expeditions um drive tanks stuff like that which we recorded um and they found this great stat that 66 percent more recruits when they use vr and there's more examples i could yeah could well on. that's yeah. good
2: that to- there's examples that are out there. Yeah. Um, it's nice to know that people, uh, creatives, can actually go and pitch this stuff to brands and, and point to things like your examples as, as means where it's been successful. The thing which <clears throat> I think about is for independent creatives, people that are trying to just push the bounds and don't want to have to deal with brands. You know, the artistic types. Um, what are what are the kind of uh, the revenue models for those people? Obviously there's a lot of people at the moment that are building audiences and creating uh, audience-based revenue where people are contributing to, to, for them to create content. Is there anything like that in the VR world? There
1: isn't. It hasn't been taken advantage of yet, but it really should be. I mean, the the influencer has this new medium whereby they can bring their audience closer to them, more intimately with them than any other medium before. You can take people on these amazing journeys that you do. I mean, anything from you know, your makeup guides to driving your fast cars with Mr. JWW, whatever it is, there's now a completely new way of bringing your audience with you. So I think it's an opportunity. And I think that if there's an emerging influencer out there who's starting to get traction that wants to do something different, then this is a great medium to get involved with.
2: In the final segment of the interview, I wanted to use this time to speculate and pose hypotheticals. The beauty of VR is that no one is really winning the race. And there's very little consensus as to what the world of VR is eventually going to become. As people who are comfortable with the unknown, I felt this would be as good an opportunity as any to explore some speculative and philosophical tangents. A theory that has come to prevalence in recent years uh, is called the simulation theory, and the basis of it is that you get to a stage with VR where it becomes so good that it's indistinguishable from real life. And that at that point in time, how will we be able to distinguish between if we ourselves are in a simulation? I think this is something which has obviously come about with the big PR, uh, the PR, the VR uh, bubble and all the things which are ex- uh, exciting about it. Um, what do you think of this theory? I'm just curious. Well, it's
1: the, it's the matrix theory, right? Yeah. You know, it's, yeah, it's that's it. So, When does VR get so good or so real that you have a sense of presence that means that, that, yeah, that real world is indistinguishable? Um, I think if things were getting that frighteningly close, we would have to build in some kind of safety measures. There would have to be some kind of presence breakers or reminders that it's not real. Um, But then equally, what you've got to think as well is that the world's going to change. And the way that we interact with the world and the virtual world is going to change. And crucially, what's going to happen is that what we do in that virtual world is going to have a value to it. You could even make money in that virtual world that then means something in the real world. And it might be that in the future, you have a great life in the virtual world and can do great things that are really good for millions of people around the world. You might be able to do something in there which actually enables a breakthrough of a technology which saves lives. And what's to say then that that's a bad thing? And the thing is that right now... You think of, like, a sweaty kid with a headset on who gets stuck in w- world of Warcraft. And that is a bad thing, right, on an individual basis. But equally, we just don't know how VR is going to wor- evolve, how it's going to change the world, or how we're going to evolve as well.
2: You might find that these so-called lazy people that sit at home and play video games all day become the most productive individuals <laughs> that ever existed. Yeah. There, There are definitely some dystopian representations of that where you've got this, you know gigantic human that just sits on a lazy boy and lives in and has an avatar of this uh, beautiful woman or something, you know, so he can live out his seedy uh, yeah. manifestations. It's going to happen, definitely, it's yeah. going to happen. I mean,
1: <laughs> that's the thing, uh, yeah, there, wherever there is VR, you know, there is always that kind of seedy undertone that will go with it as well in terms of, you know, people being able to do whatever they want in there. I mean, you just need to look back to some of the brilliant ones like um, Red Dwarf had a great episode where lester finds a virtual prostitute and stuff like that and you know there there's there's always going to be a kind of disreputable side to vr and in fact to any kind of gaming or or um internet and stuff like that and i think um you know you just got to approach it with a level of responsibility and, and also, also right to thing.
2: appreciate it to some degree because without the porn industry for example a lot of the innovations uh, of our time wouldn't have Come along as fast Streaming, as
1: Streaming. Um, yeah. And yeah, kind of a lot of the uh, online benefits. And actually, funnily enough, I remember one of our R&D guys a while ago telling me about a new camera system, which I hadn't heard of. I said, how do you know about this? He's like, oh, it's all over the porn industry. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, VR porn is apparently driving a huge amount of the technology. Well, that's
2: where your immersive experiences and walking around is going to come in handy. That's right. where they want their haptics. Yeah. Exactly. Um, I'm curious to know, like, where this thing, this metaverse, where it exists. So, once upon a time with the internet, obviously, it was just these random websites, and you had this gold rush of people trying to take domains and all that kind of stuff. And then nowadays, it went from several, uh, a few channels, to several, to these individual platforms like Netflix and Amazon, creating these content hubs that you, where you spend a lot of time. But all of it is with on within. within the internet as, as, as a whole thing. Um, you know, who's trying to create the Google? Who's trying to create the web browser? Is there something that's going to link all this stuff up and eventually, instead of it being these disparate experiences, it's going to be a unified thing where we can all go?
1: That's a great question. That has to happen as well because right now what you've got happening is you've got these tech giants fighting their own corner they've all got their own products, they've got the HTC Vive, you've got the Samsung stuff, you've got the Facebook stuff, you've got the Google stuff, and they're all wanting to establish themselves in this new world, in this new metaverse. But I think that actually one of my steps to mass adoption is that there will be this um, device agnostic metaverse, i.e. it doesn't matter what headset you've got, what computer you've got, you put a headset on and you can visit this place. But yeah, then the question is, like, what is it? And I think, I think you've got to look at it as something very much like the internet. You know, it's something which is shared on servers all around the world. It's not from a single place. It's something which is part of everybody and everyone co-owns. And then, you know, sure, then the great you know, the big companies, the Facebooks and Googles can have their own kind of islands. And maybe you should look at it like that, like a kind of another version of the globe, which has got different, almost kind of corporate countries in it at the moment. But then what about the stuff that's not corporate? I mean, you know, this is a a new world. So why can't people craft their own places that people go to? I think one of the, one of the things my um, good friend, Will McMaster, who's our, our head of VR, he, he's always championed the idea that you create your kind of custom space in the metaverse and you can invite people in there and they can come and chill with you in your, you know, on your sofa in your man cave, If you want to have some beers and watch the football or you can go somewhere else a bit more romantic if you go on to take your wife somewhere. So like, you know, that idea of a kind of custom location that people can make and invite people to, which then means that you'll get people who are particularly creative making amazing spaces that draw more people. And then that can be a business, you know, because what's going to happen and this is one of the really creepy things or one of the things which is going to make people kind of roll their eyes out of home advertising is going to come into the virtual world all the old tricks in the book of the outdoor industry of billboards of screens or whatever can be absolutely put on speed and put into the metaverse because they can advertise however they want in there and if people are willing to pay for it it's going to be there it's just going to probably be a lot more creative and exciting because it's going to be stuff like you know, some spaceship's going to kind of come out of the road in front of you with a big brand on it or something, and then shoot off and offer to take you for a ride—that kind of thing.
2: <laughs> it, literally talking about that, because how you, you know you you posed a roadmap to adoption, which is one thing, but then to actually create this 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 connected system. I point to things like, say, cryptocurrency at the moment, where in order to make it work, there's a decentralised network. And one of the things you mentioned earlier is this idea of power and that your device has to have as much power as a gaming console. But is there not a way of of tapping into the, the vast uh, power of just decentralised server systems and that kind of thing so that you're never having to run experiences off of a device it's it's merely cloud-based I'm not sure if that's even a thing
1: no I mean I think if you if you could get data moving fast enough then that that is absolutely the way it will go at some point I just don't think I think we're probably a long way off that and I think the shortest kind of way route to getting the power in your hands for these experiences at the moment is from it being local But that is certainly, I mean, you know, I mean, we're looking at that now in post-production anyway. You know, people use render farms and send send footage off to get it it back to them in a much faster time than they could do it themselves. But for it to be a kind of immediate thing, I think that's quite a few years off.
2: Okay, fantastic. I think my uh, rabble of questions has kind of finally come to an end. I've got another one for you. Mm -hmm. First of all, I just want to say thank you for coming on the show. Uh, As I say, I've got one more question for you, but before we actually get to that, I'd like to pass you to Adam, our producer, who's going to summarise some of the key takeaways from today's episode.
0: Thanks for joining us today, Henry. Thank you for the wealth of insight you've shared with us. Here's the five actionable insights I wrote down as you were talking for our subscribers. Number one, if you want to try VR but don't have the money, get Google Cardboard. For just £5 on your mobile phone, you get to sample the VR experience. Number two investigate augmented reality. It's going to give some people a great advantage in life. Through glasses, people will have access to a heightened world. Number three, if you want to tell a story in VR, keep the scene simple and the action in front of the person. Don't try to fill the scene and use audio cues to guide the story. Number four, to make your own entry-level virtual world, use Unity. There are YouTube tutorials that will help make your own platforms like Google Cardboard. For 360 video, try the Samsung Gear 360 camera. Number five Facebook forums are a great source of information about VR. And try blogs like Upload to VR, Road to VR, and Virtual Reality Observer. And number six is more of a caution out of home advertising is coming to the virtual world. Advertisers will be able to do whatever they want.
2: Thank you, Adam, for that. Some great takeaways from today's episode. So before we really uh, give you the final, final, final question, where can people get hold of you? What are you working on at the moment? And do you have any asks for the audience?
1: Um, yeah, you can just email me. I'm henry at com. Um, sorry, what were the other ones? Uh,
2: what are you working on at the moment? And do you have any asks for the audience?
1: Um, right now, we're we're working on um, some a project with Harrods where... We're doing this kind of grand entrance to Harrods. We were up at 4.30 this morning to capture the sunrise and they turned the lights on and we had the green man at the door opening it up for us. So you're going to be able to put an Oculus headset on and kind of virtually enter Harrods. Um, We're also uh, working on a series of um, 360 degree videos for Jaguar, actually with influencers. Um, So that's quite exciting to do something like that. Uh, And we're finishing off a big pharmaceutical VR experience that allows you to understand treatments and how they affect patients
2: amazing and any ask for the audience
1: uh no no what do you mean by sorry just uh Uh, as in
2: is there anything they should go and check out of yours or is there anything that uh you know do you have a mailing list for example i sign up to your mailing list and it's extremely good
1: okay so yeah so on any ask for the audience uh i'd just like to ask the audience to check out our newsletter sign up for the newsletter stay in touch with us and do get in contact if you've got any questions or if you've got a really impressive cv please share it with me i think the thing
2: just to emphasize with the newsletter is you know henry's obviously got he's immersed in this and it's filled with convoluted your brain is filled with language that nobody understands (laughs) however the newsletter is very approachable and it just kind of gives you the highlights and some things that can get you get you really excited about it so definitely recommend that one
1: yeah shout out to harry for that
2: yeah um last 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 question and it's a little bit of a, a deep one if you had to give the world one bit of advice to live a better and more meaningful life what would it be
1: i think um actually if i kind of twist this back onto virtual reality i think in terms of how vr can help the world i think one of the key things is that it can be an incredibly green technology it can allow remote working you won't need to commute it allows communication in a way which is incredibly human and close across countries and and over over boundaries. So I would say, embrace VR for the good it can do for the world. I
2: think that's a great way to end. Henry, thanks so much for being Thank on you the very show. Much. Cheers. Thank you for listening to another episode of the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to subscribe and share. I'd also like to invite you to an ongoing project called the Move Me Mailing List. If you enjoyed the show, I'm confident you'll enjoy this newsletter. It contains links to all the great content I've uncovered each month, along with insights of any interesting opportunities I've discovered. You can subscribe to this by visiting my website at rickyrichards.com. A special thanks to Frankie Byrne and James Utting. They're the tech heads that make this show possible. The intro music was composed by Dom stores Fox. And thanks again to Reese Chapman for introing me to Lou and Lizette, the wonderful folks at Factory Studios in London, where this show is recorded. Finally, wherever you are in the world, I hope you have a great day and keep creating. Until next time, bye for now.